What's up, everyone, and welcome back into episode 12 of Mishy Gang Sports. It's been a little bit since I've recorded an episode, probably week, week and a half. I've been pretty busy with my life, just working, hanging out with friends, just watching a lot of sports. And I haven't really had very much time to record an episode, but... On this Thursday night, I was thinking, why not? Why not record an episode? A lot has gone on in the sports world. From Michigan State and Michigan on Saturday. To Jim Harbaugh to the NFL. To Antonio Brown. Pursuing illegal action against the Bucks. To what about Antonio Brown and Baltimore Ravens? All the way to Hope College women basketball. There's been a lot going on in this sports world, so let's get right into it. I want to start today's podcast off with Michigan State football. MSU had some pretty exciting news these last little bit, like a week, week and a half since I've done it. Um, the first really exciting news is that MSU got a transfer portal commitment from Amir Speed. He is a defensive back from Georgia. He did start the first three games for Georgia at corner, but after that he played a lot of special teams. He was a really good special teams player. Didn't really see a whole heck of a lot of time at corner, but this is a very big pickup for MSU, especially because of how bad the secondary was last year. The secondary was rated as the worst secondary in all of college football. And getting a defensive back from Georgia any defensive back from Georgia is huge for any team, especially for how good that defense was for Georgia last year. I really hope that he comes in and makes a big difference on this team. I know it's just one player, and some people are like, oh, one player won't really make a difference in the secondary. And I don't think that's really true. I think one lockdown player can really make a big difference between a bad secondary to a decent secondary. And I think that's one thing that MSU is really going to have to look at is MSU is going to have to see how can we improve the secondary? How can we improve how corners and safeties did? I think one thing that's really nice is MSU has all their secondary coming back, all their safeties, all their corners. And some of you might be thinking, how is that nice? They weren't really good last year. And yeah, that's true. But at the same time, they can't get worse. It's really hard to get worse after you have a whole year of experience in that defense. And it's hard to get worse than literally the worst pass defense in all of college football. I think this is something that MSU will continue to look at and work on in the secondary. 
I think MSU will really need to figure out something. I don't know if that means they have to change their defense or that these transfer portal guys are really the way to go. But we've really seen Coach Tucker kind of going after transfer portal guys, and that's that's important. It's important to find guys that can fit in your system and better athletes than what you've already had. And if you look at the secondary, their two starting corners last year were both transfers. Now their safeties were not, but the two corners were. And yes, they didn't play great, but also there was some health issues. There were some players getting hurt, injured. I think another year will really help that difference and making it a better team for MSU, especially a better secondary as well. I don't know if I necessarily talked about this as well in the last podcast, but MSU hired pass rush specialist Brandon Jordan, and we're already really seeing his impact on this team, especially through recruiting. I talked about how Brandon Jordan has recruited and worked with some of the best players in the NFL, and he's trained a lot of the really great up-and-coming D-linemen from the class of 2023, 2024, and on. We're really starting to see that difference if you just look at and kind of pay attention to recruiting. If you go on Twitter, which I'm on Twitter quite a bit, and I follow Spartan fans on Twitter, especially like analysts and stuff like that, which they tweet and talk about all these like recruits and recruiting. If you look at this, you're seeing offers from defensive linemen now four five stars and they're visiting MSU. When has that ever happened? Never. That never really happened. Now MSU in the past has had really good defensive linemen like Malik McDowell and they've been highly rated but not at this amount of players. You're seeing guys that want to come to East Lansing to train with Brandon Jordan. And the really awesome thing is that, guess what? Brandon Jordan will be training the NFL guys in East Lansing, from what these analysts are saying. That means Joey Bosa is going to be in East Lansing over the summer. That means maybe J.J. Watt. That means a lot of these other really great NFL defensive linemen that dominate when they play are going to be in East Lansing this summer. That is huge. Not only for the university, but that's huge for the football team as well. Because if you're a recruit that is looking at MSU and you see, hey, Look, there's the two Bosa brothers. Or there's TJ Watt. You see that, and you're like, if he's training them, and they believe in him, they believe in Brandon Jordan, 
that means that he knows what he's doing. That no, that means that he can get people to the next level. For a lot of recruits, especially recruits that go D1, guess what? They're all focused on getting to that next level. You don't see recruits and players division one that's like, oh, I'm just playing this for fun. No, their goal is to go to that next level, to play at the NFL. And I think Brandon Jordan is starting to make that impact for MSU. And you're really starting to see that, especially this weekend. MSU and Michigan basketball play this weekend. But if you see, and if you say on Twitter and follow this weekend for recruiting, is probably the biggest recruiting weekend in MSU football history from what people are saying. I just follow the analysts. I just say what they say. But this weekend is absolutely huge. We are having multiple four and five stars this weekend at the MSU Michigan football game. And yes, you might say, oh, that's just for football, right? The basketball is not going to make too much of a difference. That's not true at all. Because guess what? If MSU fans show up on Saturday and MSU wins, guess what? They're going to see that atmosphere. They're going to see how loyal and how excited MSU fans get when they play Michigan. But guess what? Imagine what's even like when they play Michigan in football, it's even bigger in football. And it's not just going to be football players there. There's going to be a four-star, Braylon Green, a really good player for a recruit that's going to be there as well. This weekend is absolutely huge, not only for the university, but it's huge for all athletic in MSU. It's huge for football, and it's huge for basketball, which I will get into a little later when I talk about the game between Michigan State and Michigan. Another huge news is Coach Cap, which is the offensive line coach. I know I talked a little about this earlier, but he decided to turn down USC to stay in Michigan, to stay at Michigan State. And earlier this week, these analysts, they announced that he got more money, that he got a raise, and he's making a million dollars a year. That is absolutely crazy. Imagine being a football coach. You're making a million dollars per year. What does that tell you about what Coach Tucker wants? That tells you that Coach Tucker is bought into this program, that he is bought into turning this program into a national contending program. You don't pay someone a million dollars if you don't believe in them. Coach Cap got paid that because Coach Tucker knows that Coach Cap can do a very good job and turn around this offensive line. That's another weakness that MSU had, and I think another place where a lot of MSU fans might be concerned. 
They're concerned about the secondary, but they're also concerned about the offensive line. What happens when Kenneth Walker is not in that backfield anymore? Kenneth Walker, a lot of the times that he had big runs, he made them himself. Now, I'm not saying that the offensive line was bad. It was decent. But you're not going to have a Heisman-type running back in the backfield every year. You're going to need that offensive line to get a push. And while, yes, they did get that some of the year, especially in the second half against Michigan and against lesser opponents, you're not going to get that very much. You didn't get that at all against Ohio State. You need to be able to get a push on that offensive line. And I think Coach Cap will do that for MSU. Let's go back to recruiting for a few seconds. Um, Coach Tucker, I know he's always talked about recruiting. And, yeah, that's exactly what he's doing right now. He's just traveling all over the country. MSU football keeps tweeting about it. They keep sending photos of Coach Tucker in a private plane. Just flying all over the country, going to going out west, going out to California. I'm talking about going to Texas, Washington. Coach Tucker is just constantly recruiting and well, I think D'Antonio always did that. I think he was always recruiting. But you never really saw that with D'Antonio. You never saw him go to all these different places. And that's a whole different thing with Coach Tucker compared to Coach D'Antonio. I love Coach D'Antonio. I will praise and defend Coach D'Antonio until then. Coach D'Antonio is the reason why MSU is a lot better. Before Coach Antonio, we had John L. Smith. And if you remember John L. Smith, he was absolutely horrible. Like, he was terrible. MSU was losing to teams like Central. And if you're from Central, not trying to be mean, but MSU should never lose to Central in any sport, ever. He shouldn't lose to Central, Western, or Eastern in any sport. But when Coach Antonio came in, that absolutely changed. They started beating teams that they shouldn't. They started beating teams that a lot of people said they shouldn't. Or when they beat Ohio State without their starting quarterback and beat it with two backups. If you were to ask anyone five, ten years before that, if there was any chance... We would have said, absolutely not. But one thing that Coach D'Antonio never did was he, he never really used social media to his advantage. And I think social media has become a lot more common to use in your advantage. But at the same time, Coach D'Antonio was a lot more old-fashioned way of doing things. He recruited in Michigan. He recruited in Ohio. He recruited in Indiana. Outside of those three states, you really didn't see very many players from, like, Georgia, from Texas, from, like, California. 
but that's not true anymore with MSU. And I think MSU is starting to become more of a national brand in football, at least recruiting-wise for players. MSU and Michigan have always been national brands. But in football, Michigan has always been the bigger brand. Like, everyone talks about Michigan football. People weren't talking about MSU football until D'Antonio came. And until, like, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, when MSU was really good at winning national championships. But Tucker is really doing a good job of trying to build a national brand for MSU. And I think that the fans are doing that as well. The fans are getting people excited. The fans are being available on social media. They're supporting players. They're letting players know how much they want them to come to MSU. I think social media, at least with this specific scenario, like when people are supporting players, when people are being nice, when people are spreading good information, I think that's very helpful. I think that helps a lot of people get to know the sports, get to know the players, get to know the coaches. But at the same time, and this is something I've kind of talked about in the past as well, social media can also be a negative thing, can really impact players and coaches and people to do things that aren't what's best for them. And yes, I'm kind of going on a tangent, but social media and how Tucker has been recruiting really has started to turn the program around at MSU, and it's really exciting to see for MSU fans. Now let's quickly transition over to Michigan football to end this first part of this episode. This episode will probably be one of my longer episodes, especially with how much sports has been going on with MSU, Michigan, and especially with what's going on in the NFL and all the controversy as well. So Michigan football, is Jim Harbaugh really gone? I don't know. I really honestly do not know anymore. Now, every offseason, it kind of seems like Jim Harbaugh has always been in conversation for an NFL job. Everyone keeps talking about how Jim Harbaugh wants to go back to the NFL. They talk about how he's done everything that he could have at Michigan, that he's at the top of his game right now at Michigan, and why not just go to the NFL? And from all the reports I've seen, and it's been a little quiet lately, no one honestly knows what Jim Harbaugh's doing. Now, that doesn't mean he is 100% staying at Michigan. That doesn't mean he's 100% leaving. If I had to guess, I think he stays. But at the same time, no news. Is that good news, really? Is that good news? That's a kind of a question you have to ask yourself. Is no news good news? 
Yeah, you haven't really seen news on Jim Harbaugh being interviewed for jobs. But at the same time, you're seeing jobs like the Oakland Raiders. A job that a lot of people think, if you got it, you'd take. And you see the Miami Dolphins. And I know the GM said, I'm not going to take Jim Harbaugh away from Michigan football. And yeah, that's true. But at the same time, what if Jim Harbaugh wants to leave? What if he wants to go back to the NFL? I don't know what he wants to do, and I don't think a lot of people know. I think it has a lot to do with what the university wants. And this is where it starts to go into the question of social media, NIL. This is where that question comes up. Because guess what? At Michigan, it's a lot harder from what I've heard and seen on social media to get transfers and NIL deals. And I think that's very true. I think Michigan's academics and athletics department is a lot more strict on those types of things than other universities. And I think in the long run, it could hurt Michigan. Now, I'm not saying that it'll hurt Michigan so bad that it'll turn Michigan into a bad football program because I don't think it will, and I think Michigan will adapt at some point. But sometimes you have to realize that other schools are really changing and are with the times, and I think think that's kind of a difference right now between MSU and Michigan. I think MSU, you're seeing Tucker take advantage of the transfer portal, and you're seeing him take advantage of NIL, and you're seeing him, you're seeing people like Matt Ishbia. He gave an NIL deal to all the football and basketball players. They're making money right now, every single one of them. But what's happening over at the University of Michigan? You're not seeing that. And you can't tell me that they don't have people that will do that. Michigan has probably, if I had to guess, more alumni that are richer than MSU had. If you think about MSU, what's your two big donors? Matt Ishbia and Dan Gilbert. That's it. Now you have Urban Magic Johnson, you have Draymond Green, yes, but if you look at the really, 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 really rich donors, MSU has two. Now I don't know whose Michigans are, but Michigan has to have more. Michigan has to have donors that are willing to give their teams NIL deals. And I think this is where Michigan is falling behind. Now do I think they will fall behind forever? Absolutely not. But I think this is what's kind of holding Jim Harbaugh back. Jim Harbaugh knows how important it is to have NIL deals and how important it is to go after these transfer portal guys. And I think he's talking to the athletic department saying, hey, we need to be less stingy on these types of things. And I think the athletic department will eventually kind of help Jim Harbaugh in that department. But what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't happen? Would Jim Harbaugh leave? 
And if Jim Harbaugh leaves right now, who does Michigan have? Jim Harbaugh would, if he leaves right now, Michigan would be in about the same spot as MSU was when they hired Mel Tucker. Maybe even in a worse spot. Now, I almost guarantee you there's a lot of coaches out there that would love a Michigan job. But if you take that Michigan job, you have so much more pressure on you to perform and to win and to compete for Big Ten championships than you did at MSU. Mel Tucker had almost zero pressure to come in and win the amount of games he had. Mel Tucker was taking over a program that had won three games. Now, yes, MSU has had, in recent past, success. But in the last two years under D'Antonio, he didn't have that. It was 3-9, and 6-6. Six and six. Tucker only won two games in his first year. Two and five. Yes, it was due to COVID. But Tucker doesn't have that pressure. If Harbaugh leaves, that court, that coach that comes in is going to have all the pressure on the world, especially after you beat Ohio State this last year. I don't think Harbaugh leaves, but that is a lot of pressure, and that is a very interesting situation to pay attention to. It was actually recently released that Michigan um, is losing their defense coordinator, Mike McDonald, back to the Baltimore Ravens. Seems like he's going back there to coach and be a defensive coordinator for John Harbaugh. Kind of makes me think that this past year was more of a tryout for Mike McDonald. I don't think that Mike McDonald was always going to be the guy here. And it kind of seems like that. It kind of seems like Jim and John had an agreement where it's like, okay, this is a young, up-and-coming defensive coach in Mike McDonald. Let's try him down at Michigan, see how he does. And I have a coach that might retire or I might fire. And if Mike McDonald does a really good job, I'll hire him back. And this is a big loss for the University of Michigan, especially for how good that defense was this year. You're losing your defensive coordinator, and you're losing your best defensive players. Hutchinson, Ojabo, and you're losing multiple other stars. This is a really big, important side of the ball for MSU, no, for Michigan, to really do a good job of filling in players. I think that's a very big job for Jim Harbaugh to do. I think Michigan will find its next defensive coordinator. I think it's actually in the program itself. I think it's the new defensive line coach that came from Notre Dame. But this is another interesting scenario to really pay attention to to see what Jim Harbaugh does. Before I quickly wrap up this first part of this episode, it was also announced that Michigan's athletic director will now be on the playoff committee. This committee is full of um, athletic directors from a bunch of different universities, and it's a big thing for the University of Michigan. 
it's cool and big to have your AD on this committee. I think it's something that Michigan will be happy about, and they should. But yeah, the University of Michigan football is in a very good spot right now, but there's a lot of spots to fill, and there's a lot of unknowns. Now, on the offensive side, there's, like, very little unknowns. Like, you know, like, Josh Geis is going to be very good. Your offense is going to be very good. This is the first time in a while where you can say, wow, look at our offense. Look how good our offense is going to be. But on the flip side, they're like, what's our defense going to look like? And I think a lot of the times it's been like, okay, our defense will be really good and we can rely on them. But next year is the opposite. And also, who's going to be the starting quarterback next year? Is it going to be JJ? Is it going to be Cade? Michigan has some important questions to answer, but they're going to answer that with extremely talented athletes. And I think that's the difference between MSU and Michigan right now is, yes, they both have question marks at spots. But who has the better athletes as of this moment? And I think that's the University of Michigan. But yeah, now for part two, I'm going to be talking about MSU basketball and Michigan basketball, especially the game coming up on Saturday. So MSU basketball. It's been a little rocky road for them as of recently, especially coming off the loss at Northwestern, a game that I attended and was very frustrated by. It was not a very well-played game, and MSU ended up losing because of a missed free throw. So going into the next game, MSU was playing at Wisconsin, and I did an podcast episode right before this game talking about how bad MSU's effort was. I called out some players just saying that they weren't giving the effort that I've seen in the past. They weren't giving their all-out effort. I talked about how effort matters, and even if you're not having a good game, you should give your all-out effort. When you're feeling down, you should give your effort. And I know, I was saying this back then, I know it is hard to do that. And yes, Northwestern did not have their best player in Pete Nance. But at the same time, you cannot overlook a team like Northwestern or any team in, in the Big Ten. No matter if their best player is out or if they're not a very good basketball team. Going into that Wisconsin game, I was really wondering how MSU would respond. How would MSU come out, especially being upset at home by Northwestern, a team that's decent? Decent to not very good? I don't think there'll be a playoff team, a tournament team. 
but how would MSU respond? And earlier in the game when I was watching, MSU went down about eight points early on. And I was watching, and I'm like, what is MSU doing? Where was that MSU team against UConn? Where's that MSU team that was against Loyola Chicago? Where was that team that played together in the first half against Baylor? I kept wondering, where was that team? Where's the team that was giving all-out effort, that was making their shots, that was playing very good defense, that were making it hard for the other team to do anything? And then it seemed like a flip switch. MSU ended up going into Wisconsin, and after the first four minutes, after turning the ball over seven times in like the first four minutes, something happened. Something started to click. And when that happened, it was beautiful basketball. It was beautiful, complimentary basketball. MSU ended up going on the road against a really good Wisconsin team and beat them by 12. Outside of those four minutes, that's the best MSU has looked in a really long time. MSU got a lot of very good games from players. It was all effort. You can see that MSU really cared about what happened. Joey Hauser played great. Malik Hall played great. Bingham was back to himself. Tyson Walker was playing good. A.J. Hogard was probably played his best game as a Spartan at Wisconsin against one of the better student sections in the whole country, especially in the Big Ten. And MSU won. MSU won by 12 convincingly at Wisconsin when Wisconsin was the favorite. I think going into this stretch, I kind of talked, I kind of wanted MSU to go, they went 1-1, one and one, I'll be happy. If they go 2-1, and one, I'll be happy, especially if they win on Saturday. But after that Wisconsin game, I felt really good about MSU. Especially going into Illinois. I knew going into Illinois would always be tough. I knew it was not going to be an easy game, no matter what happened, no matter who was out. But when I heard that Kofi Coburn was out and their other star player was out, I'm like, okay, I feel good. I feel good about this. I think we're going to go in there, get a win. And that game reminded me a lot about that Northwestern game. Now, that Illinois team was better than that Northwestern team, but it just seemed like MSU again overlooked the team. And I don't know if that's on Izzo. I don't know if that's on the players. But I think they saw who Illinois was playing. And they, they might have overlooked them. Now, that might have not been the case. And I think it wasn't completely the, completely the case. I think it had a lot to do with the game plan. And I'm not saying it was a bad game plan. MSU was really leaning on Kofi Coburn to play. And I think MSU 
once he stopped playing, I think MSU tried to continue their game plan, and it led to a lot of very good shots for Illinois, and they hit almost every one of them in the first half. Illinois played extremely well, and I have to give all credit to Illinois for how they played. But at the same time, you're watching that MSU team, and you're wondering, where's that defense? Where's that dominant defense that we saw in the early season? MSU, for a while, was the number one defense in the country. I think it had a lot to do with Marcus Bingham, and he can't play 30 minutes because of his conditioning. But you just kept seeing Illinois take shot after shot after shot and making them. And a lot of the times it was because MSU went underneath the screen, which left the Illinois point guard a wide open three. Now, if the point guard couldn't shoot that well, yeah, absolutely. And they could. MSU started to make the difference, started to make a change in the second half, and it really brought MSU back. But MSU ended up losing by one to Illinois. They ended up losing by one, and they lost because of missed free throws. Making your free throws matter. If you're a basketball player, practice making free throws when the game counts. Now, every free throw does count, but practice making them when you have to make that free throw. When you're down by one or down by two and you have a one and one or two free throws, practice and imagine those scenarios because that scenario is very different from a free throw at the beginning of a half or any time throughout the game until it's a last second game clinching free throw that free throw and I'm not blaming Malik Hall because that is an extremely hard free throw to make both but that free throw is a difference between MSU being in the first place by a game and by or by being tied now, technically, Illinois is the first place in the Big Ten, but they have the same record as MSU, and MSU and Illinois will play again. But MSU has two losses in the Big Ten this year. Southwestern and Illinois. And MSU has lost by one to both of them because of missed free throws. Now, the... Northwestern game, I do not blame Marcus Bingham for missing that free throw at all. He didn't play, like, at all in the second half, and he came in cold and missed the first free throw. You can't really blame him. You can't really blame even Malik Hall. That's a tough free throw to make, but if you see why MSU has two losses in the Big Ten, and I'm not saying that MSU... Should worry. MSU has absolutely nothing to worry about as of right now. MSU is going to make the tournament. That's pretty for sure a thing. 
but you can tell how making free throws can win and lose your games. MSU had multiple layups and multiple free throws that they should have made, but they didn't. And they end up losing those games by one. Now, during those games, you might be like, oh, that free throw here, or that layup here, doesn't really matter too much, but it does when you lose or win a game by one or two. Now, you can't expect every single one, every single layup, every single free throw to be made. You can't expect that, but when they start piling up, when you're seeing players consistently missing layups that should be made, you start to wonder, will this come back to hurt us? And one example of this is there was a shot going in for the Illinois game, and it was for sure going in, and Gabe Brown jumps up and hits the rim. That shot doesn't count anymore. If that doesn't happen, MSU couldn't have won by one. Or tied. Yeah, they were tied. Nemeshi would have had a shot at the very end. There's little parts of the game that you can look at where you're like, if this change, if this change, if this change, it would have changed the outcome of the game. I've talked about in the past where 10 to 12 plays in a football game can make the difference of you win or lose. You can say that probably about any sport you play. There's always 10 to 12 little things in games that can really change the difference of the outcome of the games. And those were those free throws, and those were the layups that machine missed. If those go a different way, MSU wins that game. And now you might be wondering, Zach, yeah, that makes sense. But you can't really do anything about it. And that's absolutely true. There's really not much we can do about it now. But in order to go on and to continue to play well, you got to fix those things. And that's one thing I think Michigan is doing right now really well compared to MSU. Michigan, I was talking earlier in this podcast where Michigan has so much talent that if they go on a run and they start clicking, this team has a very high possibility of making the tournament and going on a run. And Michigan is clicking right now. Now, maybe they're not playing as good as a lot of people were expecting. But if you love college football and you watch Michigan at Indiana, watch that film. That was absolutely beautiful basketball by the University of Michigan. If you want a definition of very of a very good basketball team that had a very good performance, watch that game. If you're a Hunter Dickinson, show the NBA scouts that game. Show them that game. The way Michigan played against Indiana is a team that could make it to the Final Four. Now, I know Indiana isn't amazing. They're good. But if Michigan plays like that against any team that they play, 
that's the potential I think a lot of people are seeing with Michigan basketball. And going into that Northwestern game last night, I was like, Michigan's going to absolutely dominate. But that also didn't happen. Michigan ended up winning that game by two, one. No, two. They ended up winning that game by two, 72-70. But Michigan didn't look very good. Now I know Hunter Dickinson and Diabate followed out at the end of the game, but they didn't look great. They kind of looked like MSU did against Northwestern. Now, i got to give credit to Northwestern. Northwestern plays very hard, and they give a lot of teams issues, but Michigan didn't play very well. The only difference is that Michigan won the game, and MSU didn't. And you got to give credit for Michigan doing that. Michigan fought hard to win that game. They won that game, and they won it. It shows heart. It shows that they really want to make that tournament. And Michigan has a little momentum going. They have what they need going into the game on Saturday between MSU and Michigan. And this is a huge game for both teams. Michigan going into it, they're starting to get going a little bit. They're one, two in a row. They're feeling pretty good. They're going into East Lansing, into Breslin, full of Spartan fans, full of the Izzone, feeling pretty good about themselves. Let's look at the MSU side. You beat a really good Wisconsin team at Wisconsin, then you lost a heartbreaker at Illinois. Now, if you were to ask any MSU fan, hey, if we go one and one here, would you feel pretty good? I think a lot of people would have said yes. But I think how MSU ended against Illinois, I think you kind of start wondering, well, you're like, is Saturday that much more important? And I think every rivalry, every rivalry game is huge, no matter what the talent, no matter what the record is. But this game on Saturday could make or break both teams. Now, if Michigan wins, guess what? You're back in the Big Ten race. Now, you need some help. You need Illinois to lose. You need to beat Purdue. You need some help. But guess what? You went from ninth to being in the top again. If MSU wins, you're still at the top. You're still in the running for a Big Ten championship. I think no matter what happens this weekend, I think both teams will technically still be in their running for the Big Ten championship. But if you're Michigan, you see, hey, we have three losses. We're going to play Purdue. That will be a really tough game. You kind of need this win if you're Michigan can't really fall behind with four losses and right now and win a Big Ten championship. Yes, you'll still be in it. You'll need a lot of help. you need to go on a run, which you need to win basically almost every Big Ten game going out, which is possible but very unlikely. But if you're Michigan, you need that win. Now let's flip over to MSU. MSU, you need that win. 
you have a tough schedule coming up. And if you get that win, you start getting a little momentum going again. You're like, okay, we beat a very good Michigan team. I think this Michigan team is very good. I think they're much better than their record. I think if they start out the year well, I think they would definitely be a top 25 team. I think talent-wise, they're a top 15 team. I think they have so much talent on this team. I just think they started off really rough. And I think that no matter who wins this game, I think it's going to look really good. And even if you lose this game, I think it's going to be considered, quote-unquote, a good loss. Now, I know there's no definition of a good loss, but at least it's not a loss against, uh, like, a quad three loss. Even after MSU loss to Illinois, they moved up a spot in K-pop, which is a rating of, like, what's the best teams in the country. Sometimes close losses in a game can really actually help you in rankings. Not in AP, but in other important rankings that factor into making March, the March tournament. So I think this Saturday is going to be very, very important for both teams to come out and show up. MSU. You got to show up. You got to show up. You have to have Gabe Brown start playing well. Gabe Brown has not been very good lately. He, has not, he hasn't hit his shots. He's not looking very aggressive. And I think one thing if you're an MSU fan, you really kind of have to worry about is you see Gabe Brown, when he has big games, he has so much energy that sometimes causes him not to play well. And yes, it's important to have a bunch of energy. It's important to be excited because it's your rival. It's a huge game. But at the same time, you can't get so excited that you start turn over and turning the ball over, doing mistakes you shouldn't do, putting up shots you shouldn't. I think Gabe Brown's going to have to be excited, but at the same time, I think he's going to have to start hitting his shots for MSU to win. Same thing with Max Christie. Max Christie, I think he went like one for nine, two for nine against Illinois. When MSU is at their best, it is when Max Christie is hitting his shots. If Max Christie and Gabe Brown can hit their shots and Marcus Bingham does a good job against Hunter Dickinson, I think MSU wins. Now let's flip it. What does Michigan need to do? Caleb Houston, he struggled really early on in this season. But now he's starting to hit his shots a little bit. Eli Brooks has always hit his shot. Hunter Dickinson is playing better. Diabate is playing better. Devontae Jones is playing better. But what are the things Michigan and MSU cannot do? MSU cannot turn the ball over. They have to keep it to about 10 turnovers. It gets more up to 15, 20. I think it's going to be a very hard game to win. Michigan. Hunter Dickinson and Diabate cannot get in foul trouble. When they those two were not on the court, 
Michigan really struggled on the offensive and defensive side. And I think if you're an MSU fan, and if you're an MSU coach and you see some of the lineups they were playing against Northwestern and you see that lineup on the court, you have to go on a run. You have to go on a big run and force Jawan Howard to put his starters back in the game. If you're Jawan Howard, when Marcus Bingham is not in that game, you have Hunter Dickinson out there, you're probably going to want Hunter Dickinson to go after Julius Marble. Now, Julius Marble, yes, he plays hard, but he's not the, he doesn't have the defensive prowess as Marcus Bingham does. So there's different things that each coach can change, make a difference, do throughout this game that can give them a, an advantage. I think each team has certain aspects of the games that you have to avoid. Like MSU has to avoid Gabe Brown getting in foul trouble and Marcus Bingham getting in foul trouble. Marcus Bingham is going to have to play a lot of minutes. He might have to play more minutes than he ever has. But sometimes you have to play a player even when they're tired if it means they're better on the defensive side of the ball. I think this game on Saturday is going to be electric. I think it's going to be one of the best games we've seen in a long time. I think Breslin is going to be rocking. I think Michigan fans will also show up. I think the atmosphere is going to be absolutely crazy. And sorry, I'm really excited to be going to the game to see it. And should be a very good game. I'll probably give my reaction shortly after and let you know what I think. Before I wrap up part two, I just want to kind of talk about Division Three basketball for a little bit. And give a shout out to the Hope women's basketball team. Now, I know I've talked a little bit about them past, didn't really talk too much, just kind of said how they're dominating all year. And yeah, it's very true. Last night, they had a game against the number four team in the country, Trine. Trine and Hope has always been a hard game. It's always been a close game. It's always been a very competitive game. And I think going into yesterday, a lot of people were thinking that as well. That was going to be a very close and competitive game. And Hope going into that game had a 61-game win streak. That win streak is no longer. Hope ended up losing by 8 to trying at home after Hope not playing too well. But that's okay. Because winning 61 straight games over two years of games you have not lost to is impressive on its own. 61 games in a row is tied for the third longest win streak in Division Three history. That is impressive. They deserve so much more coverage than they do. Those women that play for Hope Women's Basketball, they absolutely deserve all the credit. They were winning games by an average of 45 this past season until they played the number four team in the country, trying. 
it was an absolute pleasure watching them run that long without a loss. And there was going to be a day when that loss came. We just knew that was going to happen. There's going to be a time where they were going to lose. They were going to lose in the regular season. They were going to lose in the playoffs. It was eventually going to come. It was going to be a sad day. And I definitely do think it is a very sad day. Like I was sad. I wanted that streak to continue. But what I do want to say is thank you. If any of you girls listen to this, if you know anyone on the team that listen, just say congrats and thank you. It was an absolutely amazing accomplishment that they did. And yes, they've lost one game. But guess what? They have still so much more to play for. They have a national championship to play for. They're still going to be a top four team in the country. Honestly, I still think they're the best team in the country. I think Hope just didn't play very well, and I think Trine executed amazingly. But Hope still has a ton of play for it, and for those women on that team, I will be cheering for them throughout every game. And for them, I really hope they get a chance to win a national championship because those girls got two years taken away from winning a national championship. And I honestly think they would have probably won it both of those years or it would have been very close. I think this year, Hope's going to go on a run. And they're going to go on a run in the NCAA tournament. And I really hope that they win the national championship. And if they do, I'll come on here celebrating because of how much I love the University of Hope or College of Hope, how much I enjoy watching these girls. These girls put on so much effort, and they play so hard for each other, and you can tell that they really love each other and that they want to work hard and that they're trying their best. Just hard seeing them lose last night. And while it is one loss, and I think they're respond very quickly to this loss. I just want to wrap up part two by just saying thank you for everything you have done. What you have done is absolutely amazing. I know that that loss hurt last night. I know a lot of people feel for you. But winning 61 games in a row in itself is so impressive that you have so much more to play for, that you girls should pick up your heads, continue to play hard, continue to trust in each other, and know that you still are a top team in the country. I think they're still the best team in the country, like I said. And you still have a chance to play for a national championship, and you still have many more games to play. I've seen these girls play for a long time. I've seen these girls come back in games that they probably shouldn't have won. These girls are going to make a, a long run and I'm going to be excited watching them make a run and hopefully I can talk about them winning a national championship. But yeah, that is part two. I will continue with part three with the NFL Nets. Now let's talk about the NFL.
especially about Antonio Brown. I know there was an episode quite a little while ago about where I talked about controversy, especially my thoughts on the Antonio Brown situation, on Antonio Brown as a whole, and if I ever thought he would play in the NFL again. There was news recently brought up that Antonio Brown is considering legal action against the Bucks. Rumor has it, according to him, that the Bucks offered um, Antonio Brown to go see a mental health specialist. And I don't think Antonio Brown was too happy about that. I think, and the rumor has it, that he is bringing legal action against the Buccaneers, especially for that. And this situation just keeps getting more and more fascinating as the days go on. Because what was interesting is he left the Jets and we knew that he was upset and we got both sides of the stories and stuff like that. Antonio Brown made fun of the Bucks, made fun of Tom Brady and his trainer and did all that. Then Antonio Brown comes out and he thanks Tom Brady and says, hey, maybe I could have done something different. Maybe it wasn't all the Bucks' fault. Maybe some of it was mine. Maybe I could learn from it. And I started to see that. I'm like, okay. I'm like, Antonio Brown is realizing that a a lot of the time it was his fault. Now, we don't know the whole story, but he's realizing that, hey, you know what? I messed up. And I think that's the first thing people usually realize is one of the first things. They're like, okay, I messed up. I made a huge mistake. And I was thinking, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I was thinking, hey, maybe Antonio Brown is learning. Maybe he's getting better. Maybe he realizes hey, you know what, I am such a talented wide receiver in that I was so wrong in the past that maybe if I say I'm truly sorry and that I am, that I'm going to change, maybe teams are going to give me another chance. But I think his opportunity to play in the NFL was thrown out the window completely when he made fun of the Bucks for losing to the Rams. When he turned his own meme against the Bucks losing to the Rams, in my opinion, absolutely should never give him a shot in the NFL again. Now, yes, Antonio Brown is so gifted. On any team, you could probably be a wide receiver one. But why, if you're an NFL team, why would you give a player like him that makes fun of your team for losing a team that gave him a chance, a team that let that he won a Super Bowl on, that gave him his chance, Tom Brady put his own name on the line for you, and you decide to do that. Now, maybe the Bucks were at fault for some of this. I do not know. There's still an investigation, I believe, going on. But what NFL team would give Antonio Brown a shot. I don't think any any team should give him a shot, especially after him bringing legal action against the Bucks. 
from what it seems like, the Bucks just wanted to help him. But it seems like Antonio Brown did not want that help or did not think he needed that. And yes, it's okay sometimes if you if you think you're fine and people press your attention and need help. It's okay to accept that help. Sometimes we need to accept that help because it helps us when we don't really realize that we need it. And the Bucks were trying to do that. But now Antonio Brown is starting to do legal action against the Bucks. And I think that and the meme and making fun of the Bucks and making fun of the one person in one team that actually gave you a chance, a second chance when a lot of people questioned and wondered why were you giving him a second chance? Do you know that? That is absolutely wrong. What Antonio Brown did, like I said, he deserves zero chance in the NFL until he either apologizes, that's it. Because why, if you're any team, why would you take a chance? Yeah, even if he apologizes, you're like, what team would want a player that does those things on their team? You know how that impacts the locker room? That absolutely turns the locker room upside down. It doesn't matter what a player's talent is when they're a bad locker room presence. One bad locker room presence can absolutely turn a really great team to a team that doesn't win, to a team that doesn't play hard, to a team that doesn't want to show up every week. And guess what? If you're in the NFL and you have that one player and you don't perform, it affects you too. The NFL, if you don't perform and the person right next to you doesn't perform, but the person next to you has more talent, guess what? Who's going to get cut? The person with less talent. And guess what? For a lot of wide receivers, I would have to say Antonio Brown has probably more talent. If you watch when Antonio Brown played when he was healthy, especially with Tom Brady, where was Tom Brady looking? Tom Brady was looking at Antonio Brown's way. Almost any time he needed a big game. Was Tom Brady or Rob Gronkowski? He knew that he could depend on Antonio Brown to get that first down or that touchdown when he needed it. Antonio Brown has so much talent, so much potential, that what he's doing, he's throwing away his career. And yes, he can do other things. But if you're Antonio Brown, and he was asked this, he's like, who do you want to play for? He said, I want to play for Lamar Jackson. Play with him. There was a photo that he posted wearing a Ravens jersey. If you're John Harbaugh, why would you take him? Why would you take someone that is a liability? And you can say, okay, it's happened in the past, like Randy Moss. Randy Moss to the Patriots, a lot of people are like, why would the Patriots do that? He has history. He's done things that have not been great. Why would he take him in the past? Guess what? It's turned out great for Randy Moss and turned out great for the Patriots. But if you're the Ravens, why take a chance? Now, Randy Moss got that chance, but guess what? Randy Moss didn't, didn't do exactly what Antonio Brown did. Nowadays, it's a lot 
easier to get second chances, but there's a difference between getting a second chance and pursuing a legal action and making fun of your own team when that one team was the only team that gave you a chance. So it was the only team and only individual that believed in you. And I think Antonio Brown, in my opinion, I think his chance in the NFL, and deservedly so, has been thrown out the window. And I really hope that he can go realize that he made a mistake. And I really hope that he realizes that and that he learns from that. But at this moment, he should not be given another chance in the NFL, especially for what he's doing, especially for because they try to help him. And you know what? If it turns out the Bucks were in the completely wrong, I will come on and say that. I will say, okay, Antonio was right. Antonio Brown was right. But from what I've seen, it seems like the Bucks just wanted to help. And Antonio Brown made a mistake. And his career is going to pay for it. And I think that this controversy is going to go away. And I don't think we're going to see Antonio Brown in the NFL again. And I think it might be a good thing. That is that reason. But let's kind of transition away from controversy and like talking bad about the NFL. Because who likes talking bad about the NFL and bad things? Let's talk about how this past weekend was probably the best NFL games ever. Best weekend ever. Every single game until that Chiefs-Bills game ended with a last-second field goal. And every single game that was played, those three games were considered an upset. Each and every one of those games was so fun and amazing to watch that a lot of people are considering some of the best football that they've ever seen. And I think it's very true. You saw Joe Burrow and the Bengals win. If you're an NFL fan, if you're not a fan of any of these teams that are in the AFC and NFC Championship, you should absolutely be jumping on the Bengals bandwagon. Because you got a team that is so likable, a coach that is so likable, a quarterback that is so likable, a wide receiver that is so likable. You got Joe Burrow, you got Zach Taylor, you got Jamar Chase, you got Joe Mixon. You got a franchise that has not won very many games. They were actually, before they won their first playoff game, they actually went the longest without winning a playoff game. Now they won two. If I wasn't a Stafford fan, I would 100% be on the Bengals bandwagon. And you know what? If the Bengals go and the Rams go, I would be absolutely happy no matter what. Because guess what? You've got a team in the Bengals where they went from worst to first. You see this all every year. You see teams that go from worst to first every year, and you see how much potential this Bengals team has. And you see how likable these players are. 
You got a kicker that's a freshman. That He's probably one of the most likable players in the NFL. You got Joe Burrow. Everyone loves Joe Burrow. What he did at LSU, he just seems like a cool guy. You have such a likable team. And the Bengals, and the Bengals, I think, what they're doing this year, I think gives hope for the Lions' future. Now, a lot of you might be saying, oh, can the Lions pull the Bengals? In a couple of years, could the Lions be in the Bengals' spot? I don't know. But I really hope that in a couple of years, the Lions can be in that conversation, can be in the playoff conversation. And I think that truly depends on what happens in these next few years. I really do believe in the direction the Lions are going. I think Brad Holmes is a great GM. I think he's really great at the draft. I think MCDC, Moyer City, Dan Campbell, has done a great job so far with this team. I think this team plays harder than a lot of teams in the NFL play. And yes, a lot of people might be listening, but I really, and might think I'm crazy, but I really do think this Lions team can be good in a couple of years, can be fighting for a playoff spot, could be fighting to win a couple of playoff games. And I think that's everything that us Lions fans want. If you're trying to build a team for the future, I think there's a couple teams you need to look at to rebuild on. And one of them is the Bengals. The Bengals have been building for this team for so long that they're finally starting to click. It's starting to get going a little bit and a lot of these best guys are the young guys. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, a rookie kicker. You got a young you got a younger Joe Mixon. You got a really good defense. You got a really great passing attack. What the Bengals have done, I really hope that the Lions continue to do. I hope the Lions are competitive going forward. Now I'm not saying competing for a Super Bowl, saying competitive. I think all that really excels and gets much closer if Aaron Rodgers leaves. Someone that, a friend of mine that listens to this podcast, he's a Packers fan and big Packers fan and might not love what I'm about to say, but I think Aaron Rodgers is gone. I think Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams is gone. I don't think they come back. I think, if I had to guess, I think they go to Denver. I think they go to Denver with his offensive coordinator. And if that happens, I don't know what the Packers look like. You have to rely on Jordan Love, a quarterback. And I think he has a lot of potential, but a quarterback that has not shown very much. And I think that really leaves an opening for a team like Detroit. Because let's say Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams leave. There goes your two best players. You still got Matt LaFleur, and he's a very good coach. But there goes your best two players. And you got an unproven quarterback in Jordan Love. Unless you go trade or draft someone. And I don't know if they're draft someone, especially because they drafted Jordan Love a few years ago. Now let's go on to the... Bears. The Bears hire their new head coach. 
They got a good Justin Fields, but they got an aging defense. Now let's go on to the Vikings. The Vikings are going to get a new coach. Don't know what they're going to do with Kirk Cousins. So let's say Kirk Cousins go. Vikings might not have a quarterback either. Now the Vikings have Jefferson and Cook, and they have a couple really good playmakers. But let's say all that happens. Let's look at the Lions. Yes, the Lions have a lot to improve on. But let's look at what the Lions have. They have DeAndre Swift. They have a really good offensive line coming back. That's going to continue to improve. They have Amon Ross St. Brown. I think they're going to add another wide receiver either in the draft or in free agency. They got TJ Hawkinson. They got Jared Goff, which showed at the end of the year that he's better. You got some really good defensive young players. Now, it wasn't a very good defense, but you got a very good defensive coordinator in Aaron Glenn that I really hope ends up staying. I'm afraid that he's going to take the New Orleans job. But you have a capability to compete against every team in your division if Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams is gone. Then, the, in my opinion, then the division is wide open. I think if Kirk Cousins comes back to the Vikings, I think the Vikings would be the favorite to win it. But if you're the Lions, all you have to do is win that division. I think that is a very highly possibility if Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams leave, that the Lions will very much compete for the division next year, which would be absolutely huge since the Lions haven't done anything and haven't won anything for 30-plus years. But yeah, um, super excited for the Lions. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about is another little controversy, OT rules, the overtime rules, especially for how the Bills and Chiefs ended the game. I definitely do think that the overtime rules do need to change. I think it's something that needs to happen. I think both teams need to have a chance. If Even if the first team scored a touchdown, I think the other team at least needs a chance to at least go score a touchdown. I think they should kind of do something like college does, where you pick a point in the field and then you just go back and forth. I think that would make things lot more fun you could do a full field until someone doesn't score you can do also like that but the whole idea of if one team scores a touchdown especially for how entertaining and how electric a playoff game is the whole idea of having one team score a touchdown in the game i think is wrong and i think they really need to change it and i think they proved that was wrong last year when the when the Chiefs lost, and I think it's wrong this year, and I really hope they do change that. Um, in other NFL news, there was a couple really big news that came up. One that was not very unexpected. Um, big Ben officially announced that he is retiring today. Now, a lot of people knew that, or a lot of people were like, it was very speculated. He was going to retire, but he officially announced his retirement today. And it's kind of it's kind of weird. 
just looking back and seeing like all these like players that I grew up watching um, when I was younger retiring. And Big Ben had a very good career. Now, I think Big Ben stayed a little longer than he should have. I think he should have retired a year or two ago. But he had a very good career. He won two Super Bowls with the Steelers. He led the Steelers to the playoffs this year. And yes, they did get blown out by the Chiefs. But he had a very good and long career. And it's something that you should be proud of. Now, this next um, player that I'm going to be talking about is probably my favorite player ever. Tom Brady. It's honestly a little hard talking about this, but there's rumors that Tom Brady is retiring. That he could possibly be retiring. That his last game played. And for anyone that knew me very well, um, that knows me very well. They know how much I am a huge fan of Tom Brady. I have a Patriots jersey of Tom Brady, and I have a Bucks jersey of Tom Brady. And ever since he was with the Patriots, I've always just been a huge fan of Tom Brady. And it really, really kind of hurts talking about him possibly retiring, because I want to see him go out at top. And, yes, a lot of times you don't go on top. And, yes, he doesn't have anything else to prove. But at the same time, it would be awesome to see and realize, okay, this probably is his last year. And I didn't really think that until he, like, talked about it. And it's, I really hope he comes back. I really think he should come back. And I really hope he does because he's like my favorite player ever. It's going, it's going to stink when if he doesn't come back. But if he does retire, he had an amazing career. If he does come back for one more year, I will be very grateful and very thankful and very happy. I'll definitely be attending a game next year if he does come back because I know that next year would probably be his last year because he has one more year with the Bucks. But if he does not come back, I'll talk more about it. But he's had a very, very good career, and I hope he does one more. I really do. Now, to quickly wrap up these last little um, comments, these last little uh, ideas, uh, the USFL is a new pro league coming to the United States. It's a football professional league. Um, Michigan actually had a team, the Michigan Panthers. This is a new pro league that starts April 16th. Don't know how much I'll be paying attention for, but I'm super excited about it. And they actually hired the GOAT, Jeff Fisher, today to be their next head coach. The coach that has lost the most games in the NFL history, the GOAT. Um, yeah, don't know how I feel about this, but he was in the NFL for a long time. He had quite a bit of success. He also lost a lot of games as well. But I think it's going to be, hopefully, a very entertaining league. And, yeah, I might actually tune in to a Michigan Panthers game just because it's a very interesting idea 
they've tried in the past with like the XFL hasn't really gone too well, but I think it would be interesting to have like kind of like a developmental league or a different league for the NFL. But yeah, that's coming up on April 16th, still a while away. But yeah, the Michigan Panthers hired Jeff Fisher to be the next and first head coach. Now let's quickly transition over into other professional sports teams. Um, the Tigers. I'm really excited for the Tigers. I think they have a very bright future ahead. Um, super excited because Casey Mize was talking about how this team should not just be looking for making the playoffs. This team should be looking for a World Series. Now, do I think that'll happen this year and in the next couple of years? Probably not. But it's really exciting to see that the young pitcher that's probably going to be leading the Tigers is like, we need to look much beyond this, and I'm super excited about that. Let's quickly transition over into the Pistons. Cade Cunningham had a game a couple of days ago. He's actually only the second rookie ever to have 34 points in a game, eight assists, eight rebounds, and four steals. Absolutely massive game there. The first rookie to ever do it was Michael Jordan. But I definitely do think Cade is a special player, and I really hope that the Pistons start to build around him better. I think that the Pistons also have a bright future, especially with Cade Cunningham. They have Beef Stew, Isaiah Stewart. They have Sadiq Bey. They're going to have a top pick in this coming year's. NBA draft, so yeah, definitely something very exciting to look forward to. Uh, NHL, let's go over to the Red Wings a little bit. Definitely very excited for the Red Wings. They still have Mo Sider, which should honestly win the Rookie of the Year. They have um, Lucas Raymond, which should be in that conversation as well. They are out two really good young players. They have such a bright future ahead. You have Dylan Larkin that's playing well. Um, overall, the Red Wings are not playing super well, but they do have a very bright future ahead, and I think that's something that is really I'm hopeful for, is that it actually seems like all these Detroit teams actually do have bright futures, or at least have young players that can be very good for them. And... And it's not just one player, it's multiple players. And I think that, and I hope that eventually, instead of having four bad Detroit teams, we actually have four good Detroit teams that we can celebrate at the time because I think that's what the state of Michigan deserves. I think the state of Michigan deserves really good professional sports teams all at once. And I know that's extremely hard to do, but it's been so long since we've had a really good and good professional sports team that I really hope that in these next couple of years, if I'm still doing this podcast, I can be talking about how fun and how good these sports teams are instead of talking about, hey, we have a bright future ahead. We have all these really good players who are doing these things. Stevie Y is doing amazing things with the Red Wings. You got Vila doing solid things for the Tigers. Not really hard to miss 
on those when you have Torkelson and Green fall into your lap, but he's doing pretty well. Holmes is doing well with the Lions, and Troy Weaver, I have full trust in him in the Pistons. But yeah, I definitely think each of those four teams has a very bright future ahead of it. Uh, I just want to thank you all again for tuning in to episode 12 of Michigan Sports. Super excited for this weekend. You got Michigan State, Michigan. Definitely tune in for that. There's definitely going to probably be an episode right after that game, or depending on how that game goes, maybe a couple of days after. But yeah, thank you again for tuning in, and have a great rest of your night. Thank you.